This podcast is brought to you by FormKeep. Form endpoints for designers and developers. No iframes, JavaScript embeds, or CSS overrides. Try it before you buy at formkeep.com. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and today I'm joined by co-founder and CEO of Jewelbots, Sarah Chips. Sarah, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, last time you were on the show was back in November 2015, episode 169. And you actually didn't talk to me or Ben, you talked to Brenda. Yeah. And at the time, if I remember right, I'm sure a lot has changed since November 2015. You talked with Brenda about the troubles of manufacturing hardware. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like this was just as Jewelbots was really getting started and was about to ship the first version. Yeah. So what has happened since then? Uh, everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, where should we start? Well, um, so I, I can tell you where we are right now. We just finished our second round of manufacturing. We're selling on Target.com and next week starting on ToysRS.com. Um, we've shipped 8,000 units in 35 countries and we're doing a Joelbots World Tour this fall. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. It's been a lot of fun. And, you know, the setting up manufacturing and all that stuff is so thankless because you don't have any users. You don't have any, like, people using your product that are excited. So it's really hard to keep going when, you know, you're just building every day and not sure if people even use your product. But we started shipping last November, and since mm -hmm. then, um, our reward is getting to talk to really stoked 10-year-olds all the time. So that's great. So what is the war world tour going to be? So we've been starting doing these events called Jewelbots Build, and they're really fun. We uh, have people, it's usually like two to four hours. Kids come by. We have face painters. We have crafting tables. We have all kinds of fun stuff, and we teach them how to build a game. Uh, and these kids are riding C. Um, and many of them are coding for the first time and they love it. We have like six year old writing C and being really excited. And usually, so there's like two parts to it. And I'm always asking kids like, okay, do we want to end here? or We want to keep going and build this thing. And we're always keeping going. Like they're stoked. So we're doing that in a few different cities, just to test like a pilot program of seeing if we could just start doing those all over. That's awesome. Um, so let's take a step back and you know, what is Jewelbots? How do you pitch it? So Jewelbots are smart, programmable friendship bracelets designed to inspire girls to teach themselves to code. So, yeah. um, Chad, how did you start coding? So, my parents got me a TI-94A at a yard sale. We call mm -hmm. them tag sales where I'm from. Yeah. And that came with a manual, and you needed it only booted to basic. So, there was nothing I could do except program. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and how old were you? I was probably 10 or 12 at the time. Uh, I can tell you that the majority of programmers I talked to learned during that age. I learned mm. during that age as well for similar reasons. That usually it's either I had a computer and I had to figure out how to use it because I'm old enough to remember when computers didn't actually do anything but automatically, or I wanted to be a part of a community and mm. I needed to learn to code in order to do that. So we started 
you know, talking to a whole bunch of engineers and we learned exactly that. And we also learned, many of them learned through gaming as well. They would start playing games in that age group and they would get really excited and be like, I want to be a game developer when I grew up. And then they found out how much money game developers make. And then they were like, okay, I'm going to be a quant or something like that. So we set out to build the equivalent for girls. And so the way they work is they use mesh network of Bluetooth to communicate with each other. So when my friends are around me, our, our bracelets glow the same color, which is very exciting to them. It's like a sign of affection and signaling a friendship. Um, we can also use them to send secret messages. So we come up with our own language of two buzzes mean this, or like three buzzes mean meet me by the locker, or four buzzes mean like the guy you like is nearby, or stuff like that. Um, and they can do all that without coding. So we wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that out of the box they were super fun and they didn't have to code them. Mm-hmm. But the coding part uh, is the way you supercharge your dual bot so you can make it turn into a game. You can make it go rainbow colors when all your friends are in the same place or all kinds of we have girls building like metronomes and all kinds of cool stuff. And that's in C++ on the Arduino IDE. So you're on the second manufacturing. How has the product changed since then? So in the first run of product, we had less than 2% returns. About half of them were for a consistent issue, mm-hmm. which is if you yank the USB out of the <laughs> plastic, sometimes the plastic would go with it. Uh-huh. Of course, every time we tested it, we would very nicely take out the USB, but like people just don't do that. I don't do that with my phone. Like I just yank it out. Um, And so we're just using a different adhesive on the top. Um, None of the actual hardware changing. We're working on V2 to do that now, and we're Mm -hmm. making some big changes there. But that's the biggest thing is just like more solidly sticking that plastic together. How does working and selling through the retailers that you work with, Target, and you mentioned Toys R Us is coming online soon, do you send units to them and then they fulfill it or are you directly tied to the fulfillment? No, uh, we send units to them and then they fulfill it. Is it difficult working with big companies like that or is it? So the one thing that makes it difficult is we can, can't lower our prices on our website mm. because if they're selling it for a price, we can't offer it for cheaper. Yeah. So there's like things like that. Um, I mean, there's also other things like we had to make sure to have like we were insured up to $3 million and now we have to be insured up to $5 million and like just different small business things that you run into like that. Mm -hmm. But in general, they've been pretty great. What, um, I'm sort of jumping into a serious question, but like what, what is the biggest challenge facing dual bots now? Um, we're a small team. Uh, and so I think it's, you know, figuring out the things to prioritize and what things like will move major needles and which ones won't. So I think that's probably our, a big challenge. Um, like I'm still doing all the coding. So that's like something I juggle as well as the official CEO duties and things like that. Mm-hmm. So tell um, me about it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's crazy. <laughs> um, so I think that that's probably our biggest challenge is like figuring out what to focus on and when. Give me an idea. Like my scale, my, my understanding is like, well, the iPhone ships like 70 million units in a quarter. Yeah. And Jewelbots ships 8,000 units. Yeah. Uh, those are my two uh, ends of the scale, I guess. Like, realistically speaking, what targets are you working toward? Where do you think Jewelbots is going to go? What would be super successful? Yeah. So we've done the 8,000 units with no marketing. Like, we have no marketing budget. Like, this mm-hmm. is all word of mouth. 
So I think that it's kind of a place to start. Our sales are growing like an average of 40% month over month. And our goal is to get to a place where people know the Jewelbot's name and, you know, like people know Apple. So they're uh-huh. all going to buy the iPhone. Um, like our most immediate goal is for it to be a recognizable name and brand and like for us to be a trusted manufacturer of products for this age group. Mm-hmm. How do you get there? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good question. So there's a few different ways. One way, like community is figuring out what people want and, mm-hmm. and building it for them. So that's what we're doing. We get feature requests from people in our community. We prioritize like, here's the thing. We do surveys all the time. So like, mm-hmm. here's the thing people said is their number one thing that they want, which often isn't the thing we think they will say is their number one thing. So that's one way. It's funny because um, I'm going to say all product things. I was talking to someone the other day and they asked me a similar question and I they're like, I've heard a lot of product stuff and not a lot of marketing things. And I was like, well, I'm an engineer. So yeah. <laughs> if you want the marketing stuff, talk to someone else. Um, so that's important. But I think the real way is, so Jewelbot's charms and bands are customizable. Mm-hmm. So doing licensed products, I think, is something that's important to us. The number one driver of purchasing in this demographic is things their friends like. The second is celebrities. The third is brands that they already know. Yeah. So, you know, working with teams like that, like the Powerpuff Girls and other big brands that we can uh, share their marketing power, I think is a really good way to make sure that everyone hears about them. And plus also being a fun product. Yeah. I see this in my own kids, but then I'm helping advise and we're we're helping design a product that's going to be used by high school kids in the Boston public school system. And the whole purpose of the app is to get them out in the community and exploring the city of Boston because while people live in the city, the school is finding that they don't leave their neighborhood. They don't really explore what the city has to offer. And so we've designed this thing where it's going to, you know, there's going to be events around the city with companies or co-working spaces or maker spaces, and they'll be running an event and you get points or something for going to it. That's so neat. And I I was blown away, like the thing that everyone resonated with, uh, how much the high school students just were like focused on the brands that they know. And like that alone gets them excited and interested in doing an event. First of all, I think it's cultural or generational. I don't know that I was like that when I was a kid, but it makes perfect sense too in that like in a sea of all the information that they could have in an app or whatever, that if you see something familiar, it's going to jump out to you. And brands are familiar. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, It's funny. I wonder if the internet has done this to us. Like, you know, because like we as people, like we're always getting invited to new communities. I've been thinking about this a lot. Mm -hmm. We're like always being, like there's always a community that wants our email address or wants something from us. So we've like started like filtering by like things we know and like, Something that I've had happen to me are social networks that market by sending me a confirmation email that I've joined the social network. <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> so like, just like filtering that stuff out is important. So I wonder if that's how we've gotten. Yeah. But you know, now, I, now that we're talking about this, I realized that to extent, extent, this has to have been the case all along because that's how big consumer product good companies like Procter and Gamble and like that's how they existed and how they do it they they create brands and are name 
recognition and they mean something to people and they latch on to them. I guess that's been going on for a long time. That's true. I was just surprised by how impressionable the kids were, I guess, in the testing. Oh, really? Impressionable by, by like other branding or like impressionable? Like what kind of impressionable did you find? Like Nike what is like just so favorably viewed by the kids. And it's just, I guess they just, they, well, isn't Nike like the most valuable brand in the world or something like that? Yeah. And I saw it in the testing. Yeah. And part of it, without even asking, some of the kids were saying, well, this is the area I'm interested in. I would do an unpaid internship at this place. And if they were holding an event, I would go there. And they're not going to be so happy with this, but like New Balance is a local company for yeah. to Boston. And like no one's interested in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. That's so interesting. One thing I found as well is that, like, I think impressionable, you're right. Because adults, you could sway us, but, like, they're so loyal. Like, mm-hmm. once they find what they like, like, that's everything. Yeah. So do you have a marketing person? who We do. My co-founder, Brooke. That's okay. her, her background. Yeah. So what, I know you probably can't speak for her, but what have the challenges been there? Um, so we are building something in a new market. Connected Toys mm-hmm. um, is something that's growing really quickly. In fact, Mattel just announced they're putting all their focus on Connected Toys. However, parents, there's some concern about security and parents explaining to them how Bluetooth works. You know, like people get Bluetooth in your phone, but the way these work is they're Bluetooth devices that talk to each other and your phone, mm-hmm. which is interesting. You know, like this is something totally different. We're also the only open source wearable like mass produced. And so your average Joe doesn't care about what open source is, right? Like right now our biggest community is like children of coders and uh, venture capitalists and things like that, which is nice, but they're going to learn to code anyway. You know, like their parents aren't going to rest until they learn to code. So Mm -hmm. we really want to like be able to reach that normal person in Illinois who doesn't care about coding or open source, but just wants to find fun stuff for their kids. Um, so communicating that to them in a way that they can understand, I think is a challenge. Yeah. Do you have typical sort of retail seasonality is like Christmas, a big time of the year yep. for you? Christmas is everything for us. And then, yeah. um, there's like a lull in the beginning of the year and then a big draw around, you know, like summer break is coming up. We have to find stuff to do. And then another draw around back to school. Well, the world tour thing resonates with me. Um, my son is eight and my daughter's six. And so my son is just old enough to do first Lego League Junior. Have you have you heard of this? First robotics is yeah. everything. I judged a fellow tournament a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So he's going to be doing FLL Junior. I'm going to be assistant coaching. And my daughter isn't old enough yet, but she's looking forward to it. But maybe we need to get some jewel bots in the house and get her that would be get, great. get her started early. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting with girls, we found that so much is around friendships to them. Like their whole existence during that age, friendships is so important. So just building for them is so interesting and different. Even the language around coding. So when we would bring like bracelets to schools and girls would see a bracelet and they'd get really excited and they'd come over and we'd be like, do you want to code this? And they'd be like, just like deadpan, like, no, like that sounds Mm -hmm. stupid. 
But if we said things like, do you want to personalize this for you and your friends, or do you want to customize this in a way that like is just for you? And when we said things like that, they would get really excited. And so just kind of like rebranding. And I'm not saying all girls need this. Like there are some girls that like hear coding and they get so stoked. But like in order to make it consumable for like the larger population, like figuring out how they want to hear, it's really interesting. Have there been other surprises or things that you've learned along the way? The biggest thing I've learned along the way is there aren't products for preteen girls, period. There just aren't. Like there's now this gap that is too old for dolls, too young for makeup. Mm -hmm. And we have products for boys in that demographic. And for girls, it used to be dolls, but they're growing out of dolls much earlier. And then it's like, okay, here's a smartphone, you know, do some musicallys, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been a discovery along the way that we were like, oh, we didn't even know like that that this is like a space. So that was, that's been one part of it. Are you viewing that as an opportunity or a challenge? I think it's a big opportunity. (laughs) I think both. I think both. I think making sure discovery happens is important, but educating people around that gap. The way I do it is I say, if you had a 10-year-old boy birthday party tomorrow, what would you buy? And they're always like Legos or video game or something like that. And then I'm like, okay, 10-year-old girl birthday party tomorrow. What are you going to buy? And they're like, I have no idea. (laughs) They're like, exactly. (laughs) You know? Um, So like educating people around that I think is important. But there's like challenges and good parts about everything. Mm -hmm. Why isn't the answer just Legos and a video game? Why isn't the answer the same? I could talk about this for the next three days. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that girls, and by girls, I mean people that identify in a feminine way, no Mm. matter like how they were born. But there's something about femininity that I see two clear paths. Some people say we need to find out how to make girls like boy things so that they become engineers or they become rocket scientists or whatever they have as a goal. And they say, like, the color of pink is detrimental. The princess industrial complex, that's a thing, uh, is detrimental. So we're just going to do away with all of it and get them to like Legos. And those are the people that hated the pink and purple Legos. <laughs> but let me tell you, the pink and purple Legos are doing great. And then there's another world, which is kind of like what we're in is like, like the toys we build for boys are all about building and creating. The toys that we build for girls are all about consuming, um, like, you know, building them a doll, the kitchen set, that, that kind of thing. Instead of saying, you build like this, what if we say, what makes you want to build? You know, like what Mm -hmm. inspires you? And what we found is boys like making things because they can. I want to make a robot. I want to like make this thing fly. Like it's because I can. Uh, And that's not everyone, but just like in our research. And we found that girls want to build things that they know will make a difference, you know, and have a purpose. And so they are less excited by the process and more excited by the results. And so I think that figuring out what girls want to build, uh, like what inspires them to do that is important rather than shoehorning them into like, we think scientists are made this way because this is how scientists have been made. And so making them like things that scientists like, because like that erases girls in general and erases femininity in general. And we want to empower them and not be like, you're wrong. This here's what you should like. Right. Obviously, this is a big topic. and We're not yeah. even like getting into like, are we doing it or is it just nature? Uh, you know, and the other thing is, is like we all sort of think we're experts because maybe we project 
our own kids different personalities. I happen to have one girl and one boy and their personalities are very, very different. But like, is that because of gender or is that because just because they're two individual people? Yeah. So it's obviously a complicated topic, which we're not going to solve right now. No, (laughs) we're not. But I think the important thing is, is like we can acknowledge there's a gap in the toys, like you said, and there's a gap in what people go on to do. And that's where your product is serving. Yeah. And it's finding out like. I think a lot of it is how we socialize girls. You know, yeah. like I was homeschooled when I was little and joining Gen Pop in high school was a wild experience to me, um, learning what was important to girls. So I think it is a lot of how we socialize them and what we tell them is important. I think there's like a balance. Some of it's gender, some of it's personality, some of it's like what we tell them is important. And so what we're kind of trying to do is to be that frog in the hot water a little bit, you know, because like if we go and we say, everything you've ever learned is wrong. Here's what's right. Like they're not going to respond to that. Mm -hmm. So if we can like start kind of drawing them out a little bit of like, you know, here's this thing that it seems like you would like. And like, we're trying to fool them into coding is what we're really doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You mentioned that you're working on version two of the hardware. Like what's up next? Here's the most interesting learning that we've had with Mm -hmm. version two. So when it came to V1, so we talked to 200 girls before we even started building and what we heard from them, we would, especially when we talked to people over socioeconomic lines, and when we went to the more uh, affluent private schools, the girls would all be wearing like the Fitbits, the Nike fuel bands, like fitness trackers. And when we'd ask them, like, how many steps did you take today? Or are you reaching your goals? They'd be like, I, I don't know. And we'd be like, oh, do you look in the app? And some of them would be like, I don't have the app. I didn't do it. Um, and then we'd be like, well, why are you wearing this then? And they would say, oh, it's a wearable. And like everyone at school has one. And we'd be like, all right, like crazy. Yeah. Uh, so, so we didn't build an accelerometer into this version because we like, they didn't care. Mm-hmm. But now we're hearing from them that they do track them. It's not for fitness. It's for competition. So it'll be like, oh, I did 10,000 steps today. How many did you do? You know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. So this time we're including an accelerometer um, and then some changes in the book, like a sleeker design, that kind of thing. But we might do a replaceable battery instead of rechargeable battery. Depends if we, if we can, those are some kinds of things you have to test. You know what you need to do because it's competition. The winner, the person with the most steps should light up differently yeah. than of your, among your friends. That's great. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Like these features, we have our core set of features. And like these features, we like finding girls that'll build it. Mm -hmm. Now, is it just kids that use this product? No, my co-founder and I were going to meeting us all the time and send each other secret messages. (laughs) Do you find that parents get involved too or no? I think um, I see a lot of coders getting excited at the open source wearable part of things. Mm -hmm. So we have sold a lot to adults. But our core demo, like we're aiming for kids. Yeah, I could be wrong, but when you were talking to Brenda, and it was two years, you know, almost two years ago, so things may have changed. But I think you said you were specifically sort of focused on that area because it's an area that needs to be served, and you're sort of you feel ba- like I, I, maybe I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you expect really to focus on this for, and not expand. Yeah, I think especially figuring out the market opportunity 
um, I think that's where we are right now. Like we want to build stuff for them. Yeah. Um, I mean, like there's the business reason and then there's the me reason. And the me, me reason is like, I worked five years in uh, development before I worked with another woman and five years after that until I worked with the next one. And I just want to change that for the future so people don't feel alone. Yeah. So that's what gets me up in the morning. But for the business reason, I think too, it makes sense to focus on this group. Yeah. But that being said, do you feel any pressure or do you get any pressure to expand? Yes. Yes, we do. Because uh, people want to do things that are relatable. And the people that we talk to the most, like manufacturers, investors, community partners, they are 95% men. Yeah. So they're like, what if you do this thing? Like, here's something cool that I would have liked, which is like awesome. And like, we have tried to make the design like a little gender neutral. So like boys can do it as well. And so we do have a lot of boys coming to our classes and they are awesome. We think it's the biggest compliment that for now we're focused on girls. Yeah. So you're probably working a lot on this, right? Yeah. <laughs> What's your day to day like? So I read this somewhere and I'm just going to steal this quote, but okay. I want to make it clear that I'm not the one that said it, but I don't remember who is. Um, but Oh no, I do remember the woman that does the podcast radical candor. Oh, yeah. She wrote, yeah. And she said, I realized that the best thing I could do for my team was exercise in the morning. And so that's kind of what I found as I go for, when I mm -hmm. go for a run, I'm like more even throughout the day. It's like, that's the first thing I do. Uh, and then we have stand up at 11. Um, we have kind of like go around and talk about what we're going to do. So I work a little at home and I go into the office. My focus, it depends on where we are. Like right now we're just getting the app. We did the apps in the app store right now. So I've been really focused on that. Um, we're redoing the website. So I'm focusing on that as well, but there's always like emails with our partners. My co-founder focuses a lot on partnerships and things like that, which is great, but I do a lot of customer support, you know, all the customer support stuff goes right to my cell phone. Wow. Um, and there's really nothing that gets my day going more than like a girl calling with a question or like, you know, sometimes I'm tracking something down for someone or walking through something or things like that. So when I was little, I went to visit my dad at work. He's an architect. And I said, dad, all you do all day is talk on the phone. Um, and so for me, that is email. So I feel like I'm in my email all the time. Yeah. Do you feel sustainable? Do you practice like sustainable value? Are you working all the time? What's it like for you? Um, I'm, I'm working on that. I've actually, I'm not doing it this weekend, but for the past two months, I haven't worked on weekends and mm -hmm. I've been trying to stop working like after seven. Mm -hmm. And it's not even because like, I don't have as much to get done as I work better when I feel like I have a multidimensional life. Yeah. So this weekend I'm home alone for the weekend. So um, I, there's all this work stuff I want to get done. But usually I really make sure to make that happen because it's important. Was there something specific that triggered that change? Uh, yeah, I went away. I went camping for a week and I didn't have my phone. And I came back feeling like a million dollars and nowhere near burnout and just so refreshed. Um, and I was like, man, I got to make sure that this happens on a regular basis. I can't like get up to burnout, go on vacation and then come back. Like I need to make sure I'm taking this break all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you find that you're able to like turn off when you go out the door? I make a point of it. And at the same time, I recognize that people have different um, sustainability levels. So like, you know, I probably am on or working more than other people, but the fact that I've been doing it for 14 years 
is by definition means that it's probably sustainable for me. <laughs> that being said, I go home. I have an alarm that goes off at 5 p.m. I go home, make sure that I have dinner with my family every day, uh, unless something special is going on, and um, set those boundaries. I think setting those boundaries is is really important. And I, I don't work on weekends. Um, very early on with ThoughtBot, we sometimes worked on the weekends, and that was important to realizing that that wasn't a way to be sustainable. With, it was when we when we started to make that change, and that was one of the big changes we made. That's really neat. Yeah. I think setting boundaries and if an alarm um, is what you need to do in order to set those boundaries, um, that's what you should do. I think it's totally worth it. Yeah, that's great. One time I heard a CEO say um, that the best thing that ever happened to them was having a family. People are often worried that like, oh, are you going to be distracted? But like the best thing that ever happened to her was having a family because that she doesn't have the option anymore to right. like work 90 hours a week. She right. has to be there for her child. And, and I thought that was really neat. Yeah. Did you raise money? We did. Um, bootstrapping hardware is a really difficult thing to do. Yeah. Um, so we raised money. We raised uh, a seed round early in the year last year. Mm -hmm. And are you going to have to fundraise anytime soon? So right now we're a business that sells things and gets money for the things, which is amazing. Um, but I think that we probably will only for growth. Like it will allow us to grow faster. But being a self-sustaining company, I think it's pretty important. Yeah. Because that's when, especially with hardware, because there's so many big expenses or like a product company, that's when you can really shoot yourself if you get to a point where you're not sustainable um, and you have to live for venture capital. That's a that's a rough place to be. Right. So growth would mean spending money on marketing and and partnerships, right? Yeah, exactly. So we really want to like this is a pilot program of the classes, and mm -hmm. we really want to have them everywhere and let people host their own classes and you know things like that. But then for like um, doing V two and doing another manufacturing run, is that at the point where? Are you able to self-fund that or do you need to, to raise money in order to do another manufacturing round? So our uh, manufacturer is actually also an investor. And so he has a team that we're working with to do that process. And because oh, okay. that's, that's an expensive process when it comes yeah. to hardware. Um, and so we're really grateful that we have him to work with. And so we work together on designs and things like that. So thankfully we don't have to fundraise for that right now. Mm -hmm. Was that... Uh, enjoyable process for you or a bad process for you manufacturing or like uh, figure out who's sorry do it? fundraising fundraising oh, no one <laughs> i would much rather be doing my job and hanging out with 10 year olds yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very different there's uh peter Thiel has very questionable politics but he um wrote a book called zero to one and there's a chapter on the difference between engineering and sales mm -hmm. and why engineers can sometimes be bad salespeople or often, and why engineers dislike salespeople so much and vice versa. Um, and that was really enlightening to me. But basically, my background is running engineering teams, or I've done a lot of that. And the job of a CTO is to say no and spend money. And the job, well, it depends, it depends on the company. I, I don't know if this is the case for you, but like with product companies, and, mm -hmm. You know, so the job of the CEO is to say yes and make money. And so that was a really big turnaround for me of becoming the yes person instead of the no person. Um, and it doesn't mean 
lying. It just means the ability to put a sheen on things that maybe don't have a sheen on them. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was, and like to focus on the good parts. So that was, um, like my inherent nature is to say, here are the risks. <laughs> a, B, C, D. Like, here's yeah. why. Here's some ways this might not work. And it turns out that's not how you raise money. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I found that at ThoughtBot, we do consulting and talking to people about how we're going to work together and what we're going to do and what we're going to accomplish is sales. That's our sales for us. Yeah. And I am pretty successful at making products successful and projects successful. And a big part of that is being very pessimistic <laughs> and risk adverse. And it took me a long time, actually, probably longer than it should have to realize that people were viewing me as overly negative even though it was ultimately going to make their project more successful. Um, it was not good for the sales process. It's so funny. And so I learned some tricks along the way. And they're small things. Like you can just always start a sentence with yes. <laughs> and that's all they really need to hear is like they just need the yes. But if you don't start with the yes and instead you just say, this is the risk or this is not going to work this way, we're going to have to do it this way. What they hear is, especially in the sales process, and if you're talking to early stage founders and that kind of, they hear, oh, you think my idea isn't going to work and you don't think that my idea is good. And really what you're saying is, no, I just want to make it successful. So by adding yes to the beginning of lots of sentences, <laughs> um, it <laughs> makes you seem more positive while you're still saying that there's a certain risk or something like that. That's great. I One person told me, you're super negative or pessimistic or something like that. And I was like, no, I, I thought I was being optimistic. I, like, I think you're going to be super successful. I think we're going to be super successful. It's just my nature. In order to make this successful, we have to identify all the risks and eliminate them. Yeah. So that was a, a lesson I learned along the way. I think I've gotten better. I'm probably still not there all the way yet. Yeah, I think you guys are, I think it's reflective well because you guys are, I think you're pretty well known for like honesty of like, not being the like company that's like, oh yeah, we'll build it, we'll build it, and then right. doesn't build it. Yeah, and um, I think so that it's good. really important to me, and it's really important to everyone here to do that. And so we have a, a natural aversion to doing anything other than that. But we have to be careful that it's not seen as as negative. Yeah, that's great. I like that. Begin start with yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just, like, work your way around. Yes. That's great. Cool. Well, is there anything that um, I should have asked you about that I haven't asked about yet? So one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately mm -hmm. that I think people need to know is that Arduino is actually the worst like entry-level drug because this is what happened to me. I built like three things with Arduino and then I was like, I can build a consumer product. Like, look at me. I'm like building stuff all the time. And it turns out, no, that's not the case. So people just need to know. I think you should know. But if you're playing with Arduino and like, it's really hard yeah. to get from Arduino to consumer. <laughs> yeah. We, in the office, we built um, this electronic sign that runs on Raspberry Pi. And it's four 16 by 32 LED grids hooked up to it that then flash a picture when the conference room is free. So it's reading the calendar. And if a conference room is free, it'll show the picture. We have, our, our conference rooms are, have robot names. So Bender, Wally, Eve, and Optimus nice. Prime. Oh, that's so great. And so the, the little LED grids show the, the conference room picture if the conference room is free. So you, at a glance, you can tell where in the office the conference rooms are free. And just bridging that gap from, oh, this is C 
Um, I haven't programmed in C for a little while, but I can work my way through it. And I'm just programming. Uh, it's fine. Two, we need to hook up wires to <laughs> this LED screen. Like you should have like it deteriorated so quickly <laughs> from uh, we're working our way through this to we have no idea what we're doing. Nothing <laughs> is working. Things are flashing. Not like. You know, I didn't go to school for EE or anything like that, but like it was just connecting wires, following a diagram, and everything fell apart. And we ended up with this, um, just like this jerry-rigged um, bundle of wires that we had individually, like we didn't have a serial cable or anything. We individually connected all the wires to the correct ports of the Raspberry Pi. It was so much fun, but it was also illustrative of what you're saying. Like we went so quickly from how easy it was to how hard it was to actually execute on hardware in a very small way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, it's like the thing where, like, you've done a Hello World in Ruby and now you think you're going to build Google kind of thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really crazy. But, I, you know, I love... That's what our jobs are, is essentially a constant state of feeling like we don't know what's happening. and for And it's fun to be sort of... I think we all had fun, even though it was a significant period of time where we had no idea what we were doing and nothing was working. That's yeah. basically what our jobs are, is going through significant periods of time where we have no idea why something isn't working. Yeah, and I think like people in software are really comfortable with that, which is awesome. Yeah. The one thing I learned is like the six to eight weeks in software is nine to 12 months in hardware where you like iterate. So like you can build pretty much... Anything in six to eight weeks, like a bad version of anything, and that's like a year in hardware. Wow. Wow. And the, like the physicals, like one time we were sold out of one of uh, our microprocessor was sold out. And so we just had to sit on our thumbs for two months. So that's like what kind of gets you into reality. Right. Um, but I think the no fear thing was important. I think it's important if you're going to do it. The like, I'll figure it out, yeah. which is what we do. We right. figured it out. Right. Sometimes I feel like, my lack of knowledge is holding me back, like in business. Like, you know, sometimes I feel like that. But I think more often than not, I feel like the benefit has outweighed, <laughs> like not knowing what I don't know and know, not knowing what can't be done has helped me more often than I've been held back by my lack of knowledge. Yeah. Because would you have ever done it if you knew? Uh, that's a really, it's hard to put myself in that hypothetical maybe not maybe not i think that because of the way we started which was very organic we got into a position where you know it was either go get a job or try to do some consulting um and that's how how it started and we certainly didn't get started thinking that we were gonna start you know a hundred person consulting company it was really just a group of, of friends who wanted to continue working together I think it was very likely that even if we had been told it was going to be super hard, uh, we would have done it. <laughs> but we may have went about it in a certain way or quit <laughs> along the way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? If the challenges hardware had been laid out for you and knowing what you know now, would you still do it? I feel like they were. Like, I feel mm -hmm. like people told me all the time this is really hard. And I just didn't believe. So like, or I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. But I'm going to figure out how to make it easier. Cause like, it sounds like you did it in a really dumb way, mm -hmm. but no, it turns out like the world of hardware is just like, 
this has been done this way for 30 years. And so we're not going to change it kind of. Yeah. So I feel like if someone had told me, I probably wouldn't have believed them anyway. So, yeah. Well, thanks so much for talking to me. I think that's a yeah. good place to wrap it up. And if people want to learn more about you and your work and the company, where can they go to find all those things? Joelbots.com. That about does it for this episode of the Giant Robots Smashing Another Giant Robots podcast. I'm Chad Pytel. This episode was recorded and produced by Tom Obarski. You can find show notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm slash 246. And just a quick scheduling note, everybody. I've got a vacation coming up, and so does our producer, Tom. So for the next couple of months, we're going to be every other week, and we'll be back to our regular schedule after the summer. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you.